Hi, this is Florian for 99 Startups, and I have today a new podcast guest. So would you be so kind to introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Julia Hitzbleck. I'm actually a chemist by training. It started uh, many years ago uh, in R&D and innovation, first in the ac academic arena, and then moved into the business world. Therefore, I've done quite a lot from like fundamental research to tech scouting, product and portfolio development in different industries. And I've learned a lot about tech push versus market pull in this context as well. Then I moved into a larger corporates, but also work with startups and research institutes. So I know the different types of working, but I also have experience in strategy consulting. I moved about like five, six years ago into a corporate development function in a large corporate, did their strategic projects and board support. And then about five years ago, we started with a corporate innovation team to really change the innovation culture in a 120,000 employee large uh, in company. And that really helped me to learn a lot more about what is in, in terms of innovation, what you need in terms of culture change and a refreshed sense of entrepreneurship. Yeah, pretty, pretty impressive story. So you kind of always had a touch to innovation, I would guess. So what do you think about innovation? What is innovation for you? So I think innovation is what keeps us evolving. We learn really quickly and stick to skills as kids. We accumulate knowledge and then prefer products that really provide us with value. So sometimes I wonder why we stop being like kids where we are naturally curious and creative and try things out with a super steep learning curve. And sometimes it's actually a pity that once we go to school, we charge, we change our learning patterns and learn rather from teachers and textbooks and basically wait for knowledge to be channeled back into our education system so that we can learn from it. And nowadays, if we see how fast our uh, world is evolving, we actually need to revive this skill to be, again, more curious and stronger in collaborative learning and learning by doing because The, the world is evolving way too quickly these days to wait until the knowledge is actually included in curriculum textbooks. But you need to find the right people to develop new products and together establish new, new science and new products. So, yeah, so you started as a researcher. So how you would say um, did this influence you or uh, did you already had this thinking during this time? Yeah, good question. So <laughs> I decided to study chemistry because I was just uh, curious and I loved it in school. Maybe not because I wanted to be a chemist, but it was because it was actually an easy subject with a little homework. So <laughs> I'm a bit lazy in some extent. But nowadays, I, I always joke that experimentation is probably somehow in my blood. So in the early days, of course, you spend a lot of time in the lab. And nowadays, Uh, in the business context, you still need to distill your gut feeling and assumptions into clear hypotheses and then think about how you actually set up experiments to um, gather data and validate or invalidate your hypothesis. So I believe this analytical thinking, so trying to break down your thoughts into building blocks and trying to understand mechanisms or generally how things work is super helpful in many other roles and functions as well. And I would also say with completing an advanced degree, that often means building up a lot of resilience because it sounds really cool, but it also means you spend a lot of 
days and nights in the lab running experiments that don't necessarily yield the desired outcome that you were hoping to get. Yeah, and it's a good point. And I, I can imagine that like both like all the skills also help in a innovation context. So how did the transition then happening? Like how did you and or why did you transition out of the research field? Yeah, so I think um during my PhD I did a lot of research, first fundamental and then later in postdoctoral times also with a little bit more applied context. And I was teaching and also involved in many of the other tasks you have in academia. And while this was super great, at some point I realized like, okay, if I'm going to be a junior professor, this will be my life, period. And I realized that maybe that's not the end of the world yet. So I decided to move into industry to also learn new skills and see, okay, how can I actually put science uh, to a, more applied and better course and really developing products that really people need and use instead of saying I'm doing fundamental research. And I never regretted this because in the end, if you expand your horizon, you see that there is much more. Initially, I thought, oh, economics is nothing for me. But if you have it in the business context, of course, it makes a lot more sense. And now I'm super excited about um helping people with business strategies, not necessarily looking into P&Ls. I mean, that's something you also need to do, but rethinking how you run your business and what makes some products or companies work better than others. Yeah, makes definitely sense. So, um, but you did your research already also already in contact with a company, like for a company, or how did you like started transition then to say okay i'm more interested in business cool but and normally um there's still a gap between so you out from the research sector into the into the um, um business sector yeah i i did definitely have several touch points so i i did my phd in the us and we did have a collaboration with an industry partner, but there was mainly like, uh, give us some compounds we test and give you a thumbs up, thumbs down. So that wasn't super interesting. But when I did my postdoctoral work, I was a project leader for an EU funded project a consortium with academia and industry. And there, I think I had the first touch points with either principal investigators or actually real business people from industry and realized like, how are they looking at science and how what's important for them in terms of product development how can i contribute and even if the product or the the material or the production technology is right that doesn't necessarily make a successful product because you still need to bring it to the market and if the customer in the end doesn't need it doesn't want it it can be a super cool invention or a material class it's doesn't generate value in the end and is therefore not needed and that was a bit eye-opening and um, it's also something that I experienced several times later on in industry still that uh, yeah sometimes you have products that fail in the market because they are not addressing a need or the technology is not ready but sometimes you actually also have products where the technology is super cool but the market is not ready for it or it's too expensive and therefore nobody wants to um, pay the right price for it 
So, and then you experienced this out of the first hand, and then you said you want to um, move more in the direction of product management. Or what was then the next step? Yeah, I, uh, I applied at a lot of large chemical companies or yeah, who, people who hire chemists. Um, and I actually back then I joined uh, what is now Covestro. A material science company and their started with tech scouting and I was also hired because of my technical expertise but it also gave me the exposure to a lot of other relevant topics and I must say my learning curve was really steep because yeah. you know you're not only focused on research suddenly you are in touch with a lot of other functions and people who have a lot more experience in things and um, that helps to advance really quickly and I, I realize that I'm actually also not only keen on working somewhere in R&D and helping to bring like materials into a product status that customers can actually use, but also being a leader and working with people, which is, of course, a bit different whether you're still in university and you, have, uh, you only supervise a lab uh, or people are actually more or less uh, working on their own in contrast to a very heterogeneous organization where you have to deal with people with lots of different backgrounds and really um, develop leadership skills to successfully lead cross-functional teams where people work together and not just fighting against each other. So what would be your, your best advices for people who start in the same field new and say, okay, they switched from um, academic background to a business and have now a team to lead? What would be your your best tips to um, make this successful? So I usually say uh, treat other people like you want to be treated as well um, and be yourself. So I think, uh, I mean, you can read a lot of books about strategy and leadership skills. And of course, there's valid advice, but you also need to be authentic. And I believe if you're authentic and kind, that usually helps best And if you have an open mind and ear for the needs of team members and give everybody space to develop, uh, you may, I'm usually amazed what happens if you really uh, align your team, whether it's based on the people that you know for a long time or actually a project team that you basically assemble on a sometimes very short notice. But if everyone is super aligned, what the overarching objective is or what we're going to achieve, then everybody has enough freedom to really put in their own strength and being respected for uh, knowledge and things they do and also building on advice or input from others. And then things speed up so much more than if somebody assigns little tasks to everyone and then uh, reports back the results and tries to assemble the puzzle pieces basically together, which is something that, might work in the old world but if you're really trying to develop new things that this is not necessarily the way to go i believe so what was the main difference between the research time and the business time uh, out of a team perspective because i i thought a lot of things you said also apply to the to the research field i can i can think or i, I guess so i think Research at university is definitely different, but uh, if you work in an R&D department in, in a larger company, um, first of all, if it's a cross-functional team, uh, I don't know, chemists, physicists, or uh, biology, medical backgrounds, 
they all speak a slightly different language. So it's yeah. really important that you realize that you need a common language and a common view on what you want to achieve. Um, this is, mm, I think, still easy to uh, achieve in an existing R&D environment because people also have experience already in working in projects like this. Now, if you're assembling uh, new ventures in a corporation or if you're in the startup environment, then quite often people get together who haven't worked together before. So it's even more important to have this common ground and common language and clear understanding on where where you want to go and what everybody brings in in terms of knowledge and skills. Um, sometimes that's a bit more stressful because um, there's also a lot of friction until you get a really high-performance team to work, but the friction usually helps to release uh, some creative energy and removes, I don't know, un things out of the way that people probably didn't want to voice in the beginning, but can be a big hurdle if you, yeah, if you just agree and nobody dares to say what they really think. So how do you how do you know that like you're on the right track? Like how do you know that like they understand each other now and they speak now the same language and uh, go now in the same direction of a goal? Like how how do you how do you know that like you accomplished that? So I would say as a leader, you see if your team <laughs> evolves faster with uh, results, then you actually can keep track. Okay. Yes, um, this is <laughs> really what helps. If if you do, if you know exactly what they should deliver, and then step by step you get the results, then they are not <laughs> in an exponential working mode. But if they actually are faster or more creative in bringing the solutions in and uh, getting together with new people maybe also to complement skills that are still missing then that means there there's a trusted atmosphere and um, people feel they also are uh, allowed to go ahead and uh, be yeah free to to advance and not being called back uh, because that wasn't yeah. in their daily job description yeah that's a nice example of how you know that's on the right track um did you did you had some some key techniques or something you used to 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 crack it and to bring it in this direction who i don't know i think uh transparency and authenticity is super important um in my first um like more important leadership role i really had a struggle that the, the team was from like uh People in the early phase of their career, maybe 22 years old, lab technicians to somebody close to retirement, different nationalities, different technical backgrounds. And we were on a part of a growth unit that was developing new products and a new technology. And the overall management team had really high ambitions and had detailed a roadmap based on wishful thinking and Now, we were there as an R&D team and had to figure out how we can actually reach these milestones, which seemed like totally unreachable back then. And despite all of the team members knowing each other in the beginning, it was like, oh, I don't know, like this person, I don't know, that person. And, uh, not much happened. But once yeah. uh, I really fostered, like, guys, we're all in the same boat and 
it's okay if you don't, um, yeah, if, I mean, it, the overarching goal was maybe like too much stretch to reach, but in the end, we actually managed to reach it uh, to some extent faster than we thought. And some parts were of course still not possible, but uh, since everybody was included and there was clear transparency, what, what I had to do, like what was in my objectives and uh, what I wanted the team to achieve and that everybody should contribute. And there was transparency on who is doing what. And then in sub-teams, they, they started to align and uh, get together uh, independently of um, necessarily what, what I had in the weekly planning with um, the different lab heads. That really helped to actually remove some of these hurdles myth, uh, or misunderstandings in the team. And uh, I was really amazed how, how quickly they sometimes came into really working solutions uh, where if you just, I don't know, leave the planning to the higher levels in the organization and it would have never worked out. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. And probably use standard tools like a wiki or something to to document it and to make it transparent for everyone. Yeah, we actually, um, I mean, that's probably almost 10 years ago now. So we used something like a scrum board, basically, for, and a Monday morning stand up to say, okay, well, we reviewed the results from last week, and this is what's up this week, I don't know prototype production, some key experiments to be done, um, clarity on who's like has work packages together and I don't know, some people maybe meeting customers. Um, and since there was no, I mean, <laughs> no hierarchy in the discussion, but really a team spirit, suddenly uh, also people from not only from our group, but also from the extended project team started to show up and say, hey, I just want to be part of it. And yeah. Uh, I have some ideas and I have some connections and it really grew into a like half hour, super effective and not only coffee talk, but really aligned what, what needs to be done in that week. Yeah, definitely a good point. And uh, you already said, like, you know, you're doing it right if um, they are faster than you expect them to be. <laughs> so because it's like the definition of a really good working team, uh, self, mm -hmm. self-working really good team. And um so you were more than in a project management role. Um, what happened after that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I did project management, but I also had the um, like people responsibility for this. I I really liked it, but <laughs> I uh, of course you also have um, other functional roles on your career path. So when they actually asked me to join a corporate development role which included also like board of management support. I was a bit um, undecided in the beginning because uh, I just had my team at a super high working level and we made great results. And I felt like, oh, now if I leave now, at least now it's working so that the big pain is over. Why do I need to switch jobs again? Then I decided that, uh, and also some of my mentors gave me the advice that it's probably good to also change perspectives and not being somewhere deep in the organization working on something, but having a more helicopter view on how, uh, yeah, how things in a larger organization are steered and what are decision-making processes and, um, yeah, to, to see the bigger picture behind it. And that helped me to really learn, again, new skills uh, because, yes, I'm good at project management, but I had no experience in running strategic projects, for example, 
um, working together with others who came from management consultancies really, again, helped me to learn totally new skills, which weren't in like my portfolio back then, and also helped me to understand much better now why sometimes you need to deliver numbers for something where you don't have any background for, but uh, if at a higher level, you need to have these numbers to make decisions that, of course, uh, <laughs> it becomes much clearer. And it also helped me to, again, get in touch with a lot more people from different areas of the company and learning a bit more about like the overall management topics that um, yeah, that are in the daily business. So what, what were your key takeaways from this time, like from this uh, strategic um, time? So if I look back now, I would say um, it's super important to have a strategy function uh, in a large corporation, which also maybe pushes the, the different divisions every now and then, because if you're in your daily business, you're in like your hamster wheel and you keep running and sometimes it's um, hard to step back and review results and review strategy. On the other hand, I'd say in the last five years, a lot of things have changed. And I think our business environment is changing even faster than before. So while back then it still made sort of sense to run strategy cycles once a year with longer projects and define on what you need to do and detailed numbers. Nowadays, uh, it's much more important. I feel that you have a clear vision where you want to go. And then again, similar to my leadership example with the smaller team, provide autonomy to the different units to achieve what you have in mind and being very clear and transparent on what's possible and yes, have stretch goals, but also make sure you track how fast you are uh, reaching the goal, uh, what is in the way, and then rather help here to adjust maybe the tactics or um, being okay with changing the strategy because if if you think today or review numbers from the last six months to project into the future it's so difficult to estimate because nobody knows that COVID-19 will come or yeah. anything else and if you stick to a super strategic plan and then just reality kicks in uh, I think ten, five ten years ago there was probably still enough leeway to adjust to say okay now we will revise But if you wait until numbers are put together and channeled up and then a new strategy trickles down, the environment has changed again. So it's uh, it sounds, yeah, really a need I know, for a different yeah. organization. I know what you mean. Um, it sounds really interesting in theory, but uh, did you uh, saw it implemented uh, in a practical level? So I know that a lot of our organizations are changing. And I mean, this, this agile thinking uh, and, and working mode is something that is not only maybe in the IT environment nowadays, but also in other business functions. However, you can't just change one function into agile <laughs> if all the mindset and decision-making processes in the rest of the organization are not agile. So um, I think you need to have a certain unit with autonomy to to define on or with with a goal and then provide autonomy to the team to work differently maybe in an agile 
way to see how they can reach the goal or improve sales or improve um, market penetration, uh, but not just saying part of this is now yeah. working in a different process. So uh, which which company you can name there as a practical example where we where have been part of this transition? So I the last few years I worked in Bayer, a yeah. global life science company, and there as part of the corporate innovation team, we embarked on a culture change journey and really helped to refresh a bit more entrepreneurial thinking. And of course, in a corporate function, you don't have um, yeah, P&L responsibility. We did manage to build up a network of innovation coaches around the world who then work with their colleagues in a different way and can really speed up processes and projects that, that are stuck and really help um, on the ground to work differently. And again, even though... It, You don't change the whole organization if you have a few people who suddenly work differently. It helps to at least open up the mindset. And as a second part of this innovation ecosystem, uh, we also generated a growth engine or a program that helped teams where they said, okay, I have a business challenge here. I, I realize that uh, all the ways we try to work before, uh, all the measures we try to put in place don't, don't really lead to the desired result and they joined this entrepreneurship program and were guided by mentors to apply different innovation methodologies and after 12 weeks they actually learned a lot more about what is actually the real challenge our customer or the, the stakeholders have in that situation and gathered data on what is the right solution to provide and then started to prototype and and build the right product and I think that that's a really nice, um, not only experience for all the colleagues engaged, but also for the business to see that within a rather short amount of time, you can achieve the very different results if you're applying the right methods and skills and have a different mindset. And even though we, uh, and not all of these teams work After the program, again, fully agile or do this full time, uh, it still helped to generate over a billion euros of revenue over the last four years. So, also, how much how much people had the department on the beginning, and uh, um, how much has it now? Like the also oh, the the corporate innovation team was actually a, a super small team of just a handful of people. That's yeah. also one of the reasons why we decided to build a network because we realized, okay, uh, the organization, and that's actually a challenge with a lot of innovation labs or other innovation units. If you start staffing, innovation also takes time. So with new products, you don't necessarily see a return on best um, right away. Sometimes, yeah, uh, sometimes there are projects uh, that you can uh, bring to the market really quickly and you have revenue, but also... For many others, it just takes a, a year or two until it really comes into play. And sometimes management is not um, willing to wait to see the full return on investment. So that we were a very small team and um, our mission was to um, help all employees in the organization to innovate in what they do. So we were more an enabling function and therefore the innovation network was 
one of our key multipliers as well. And it's, again, an example of where uh, a few people with positive mindset uh, provide a new environment for others to flourish, to, to learn new skills, to um, yeah, try things out. And then what they did all around the world, we could have never achieved, even if we had like five times as many people in our team. Right, because if you have multipliers by a thousand, they do amazing things that you cannot steer. You can only help them to remove hurdles they they have either specifically or see general trends that are still in the way for people to be more successful. So, what were why are key examples which helped you to enable that uh, as a five five person team? Well, yeah. So I think, again, transparency and having an open mind and heart and ears for the needs of the organization is super helpful. Because, of course, we didn't know it better, but we made it clear that we are there to help enable. Uh, and yes, we might have some knowledge and skills, um, that not everybody else has. And we are willing, so within this network uh, and beyond, we are willing to share this and help people on their learning journey. So, so what, what I heard from... Yeah, what were practical so a lot of, that worked? Yeah. So in the beginning, everybody learned about systematic inventive thinking. That was our common language that we wanted people to have in this innovation network. It's a creativity and problem-solving technique. Uh, we work with an external agency also to train people because otherwise <laughs> with uh, our small team, that wouldn't have been possible to train all these colleagues. Yeah. Um, but that helped to generate a, a common experience in this onboarding process, a common language around these new innovation skills. But of course, uh, in the network, there were already amazing people who, I don't know, were trained in design thinking or had some other skills, experience, uh, backgrounds, and we also gave them basically a floor and a, a stronger voice to share their experience and knowledge with the organization. Um, so there was a collective learning experience as well, and it's not just you get, get a training and off you go, but there was also really building a community with constant exchange, whether it's in community calls where like hundreds of people get together and learn something new, but also share and uh, learn from their peers, but also having, of course, uh, internal like social media tools where you can always share uh, what you've learned, ask for help, advice, find like-minded people to drive something forward. Um, that was a really nice uh, experience to learn a lot about culture, change management, and how you actually build communities that work. And also what yeah. doesn't work and kill, can kill energy quite quickly. Yeah, really, really nice example how it can be done. Um, uh, which is like you had a quite nice, interesting journey from, uh, uh, from a research field and to a business field. Would you say it, it was different for you as a woman or how is your perspective on this topic? Uh, I would say yes and no. So, yes, if you work in a rather old-fashioned environment. Um, so, yeah, I definitely had 
times where I was working in a super male-dominated environment for a long time. And somehow I learned basically also how to um, behave, maybe sometimes fight, but also put my my strength into play. On the other hand, I would say no if you're in a super open-minded environment where it doesn't matter or <laughs> whether you're male or female, what language you speak, what country you're from, what, I don't know, training background you have then it doesn't matter. Then it's about you as a human being and uh, everybody has strengths and weaknesses and you need to work together as a team and figure out what's best. So I think it really depends on the environment. And yeah, as a scientist, sometimes I feel, depending on which field, yeah, maybe you just grow up in a bit more male-dominated world and don't complain about it that much. So what are examples of how did you how did you handle the the more difficult um, male dominated environments? Um uh, example good question. Well, what's a good good takeaway, a good strategy, practical, applicable strategy which could help uh women in a similar similar situation to handle it better? <laughs> so my advice to uh, other women don't listen to guys if they present themselves and their skills and believe that this is all 100% true believe in your own skills and quite often women are a bit more uh, shy or not so strong in positioning themselves but that doesn't mean that uh, they can't do the job so have trust in yourself and Maybe instead of just um, pushing uh, or trying to fight on the same level as with the guys and always being, because in the end, it's um, you need to look into the communication on the different levels. So if it's not only what you say, but also what other people see and want to hear from you. So it's probably better to think of like what are my strengths and if I don't fit into this role that they have in mind i probably need to position myself in a different role and maybe it's rather the intuition and maybe leadership skills being more em empathetic with team members and i don't know generate a stronger vision in a team than just top down i'm the boss and i tell you what to do colleagues might have achieved yeah really really good really good advice um cool What are your what are your perspective on work life balance? <laughs> Super important, and that doesn't mean necessarily working from nine to five. Um, I think most of us unfortunately need to make a living, so it's super important that you pick a profession that is personally fulfilling and ideally also pays for your living. Um, now, whether you run your own business or employ it, chances are that at some point it's not working out as planned. And if you focus, therefore, too much energy on your work, then that's the only thing you have and you can fall very deeply. So I think not only out of that, but also, I mean, we only have one life. Work is one part of it, but family, friends, your own health, you can't enjoy your life if if you're always stressed and you actually don't have time and energy anymore to enjoy uh, time with people.
people that are super important to you or being outside, doing sports, experiencing nature. I mean, it's good that you're, if you're excited about what you do uh, at work, but you also make sure that you have enough time for everything else. So the summary would be don't get lost over your excitements. Uh, always try to be aware of the of the other things except your excitement. <laughs> yeah. So um, my second last question for you is uh, what are your favorite books? So actually one of my favorite books of all times is Brave New World by Elder Saxley. Um, okay. So I think for a long time this has been a futurist novel with like um, great stories that seemed out of this world back then. And I mean, I, I read it about maybe 25 years ago. And back then it was still something amazingly, amazingly visionary, uh, predicting our future. And if you would read it now, it's actually crazy of like how many elements of it became reality already. Yeah. yeah But yeah. I have a lot of like other cool things that <laughs> I like to read. What, what is the second example? Our uh, second example. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of exponential technologies and organization and um, like books like Abundance or The Future is Faster Than You Think by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler is something super interesting, I think, for, uh, for everyone to read. Because if you think in the world today and how it might be in the future, We're generating abundance of things and technology is developing so fast. And if you don't change your mindset that like there will be more data and you can do more things with data and will be cheaper and faster, then at some point it becomes clear that all the old-fashioned business models don't work and you just need to shift from like, okay, I have a scarcity-based business model. I take a picture and I... I need to pay for single photographs to be developed. And then I have like 20 that I put in my photo book from my last vacation. And nowadays we have like too many pictures to look at. So that's, yeah. I think that's one of these examples on where technology and our user behavior changed so much. And if you understand the trends behind it, that really helps you also to think into the future and what you can make out of it. Yeah. Interesting. And my last question for you is, uh, if you could go back in time uh, to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell her? <laughs> um, I would say always keep an on open mind and be curious and keep your learning attitude. Um, I believe it's important that you study or learn something that you're really excited about. And since the Study fields and professions are nowadays changing so quickly. Uh, I feel data science today, data science is uh, something that is super important. Um, keep in mind on whatever you pick in terms of your profession, does this really have a future? And if, uh, what is the right way to actually learn the required skills? And for this, as much practical work experience as possible is really helpful because if I look back into like my university career or my education back then, it was basically like planned out and very linear. And you knew, okay, at some point I will be done. And then I look for a job. But 
what I did <laughs> during my studies and maybe even in school sometimes didn't have any reality check context. And uh, if you figure out too late that this is not what you want to do, um, then yeah, you can still change, but uh, maybe you missed out on a chance. Yeah. Would it be different advice to your 30 year old self? I mean, that, that wouldn't necessarily include the education part. I think it's lifelong learning is super important. And um, yeah, trying to push yourself every now and then beyond your comfort zone, because that's really when learning takes place. And when I look at what, what I did with like 30, yeah, probably I, I moved into a new role. So I, I don't regret anything that I did in the past. And um Yeah, sometimes wish time wouldn't be running that quickly so that you actually have even more opportunities to dive into something new and meet new people and uh, learn new skills. Cool. Thank you very much, Julia. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you very much, Florian. And see you next time, guys. Bye-bye.